Alright, in an attempt to keep the file size and total running length of each individual file down to a more manageable amount, rather than releasing one giant four-hour single file mp3 for show number 55 of the Anime World Order podcast, I've split this up into two, so what follows is the rather extended news segment for this week's show, as well as Gerald's review of the Gainax anime classic Nadia's Secret of Blue Water. Okay, here we go. Let's news! Working to restore power. Back again with the news, and even though we've missed about over a month worth of news, we're just going to pick up with a bit more recent stuff with all of the crap that happened at Anime Expo just like two weeks ago. Well, you know, Anime Expo is the number one convention and nothing ever goes wrong at Anime Expo. Just listen to our Otakon report. (laughs) It's perfect every single time. Before we get to Anime Expo, this kind of goes into the very weird category, something that I've not really seen before, and I guess Japan hasn't really seen before. A woman all burnt! No, sorry. (laughs) Ha ha. June 30th, 2007, a day that will go down in history. There was apparently around 400 otaku that went marching in Akihabara. And there's oh, yeah, I heard about that thing. Yeah, photographs of this online, and you can see these girls dressed up as Haruhi Suzumiya and all these different characters. There are apparently three different anime contingents. The Revolutionary Otakuist Union, the Revolutionary mm-hmm. Moeist Union, and the mm-hmm. Revolutionary Himote Union. It's like the Seven Days of Fire episode of Pat Labor where the resistance splits up, but then they can't agree on how best they want to resist. They have to factor into various different splinter factions and organizations, just like during the real student protests. Uh, And I'm not actually sure what Himote means. Uh, One of the translations I heard was loner or something like that. What is really great was I was looking through all of this news, just going through this and trying to figure out what are they marching for? And it seems like what they were marching for was greater acceptance of otaku culture in Japan. They apparently feel that otakus are um, sidelined by society and It's all a that. pride parade? Yes, it is. It's the otaku pride parade. Oh. Pride parades always seem like they're sort of counterintuitive to the general stated goal. Like, oh, we want to march for greater acceptance, but we're going to dress as crazy and dangerously weird as possible. It's like the otaku are all out there with their, like, really bizarre Kigurumi masks and their Yuziga collection. And But the point is, is that if they were pretending to be just like everybody else, then that wouldn't really be acceptance. So, true. like, it would defeat Very the true. purpose to bother marching for acceptance if then you're just going to pretend that you're just Things like everybody, everybody else. else. I what, yeah, what is interesting, yeah, they've got people dressed up here in, like, riot gear and everything. And one of the interesting is things... Is that the military otaku? <laughs> <laughs> they're certainly not part of the Moeist union. Um, <laughs> and, of course, there's maybe the Maybe some one... people are really, really Moe for assault weapons and Kevlar. <laughs> or maybe they're just, like, in their general protect gear, but they've also got cat ears on. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like that Hello Kitty Darth Vader? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and of course there's the one American guy wandering around in the crowd. He's dressed as Goku from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> is he black? No, he's a white guy. <laughs> he apparently is well known for going out into the middle of Akihabara and screaming, Chala, head Chala. The opening <laughs> That's a good of- thing to be known for. Yes. <laughs> Kyoryu ga yutara Tamanori shikoi 
of this as well. <laughs> oh, God, this is why Japan hates us. Wow, Alyssa Chan's really gone downhill if Derek's got to go to these steps now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if anybody actually knows who the hell that is, but... I think uh, everybody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> they should. They should. I think they shouldn't, but oh well. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, I thought was... you loved terrible things, though, Daryl. Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> From your life? I only love <laughs> yeah. things that are exceptional. <laughs> and by exceptional, you mean terrible. Exceptionally terrible. Like meat parties. Or why do you Ziga? I've never actually read Wadiziga before. Yeah, right. Now, on with, I guess, some of the Anime Expo news. And, as usual, we don't really like to go into every bit of news that happened there, because you can go right onto Anime News Network site, and they've got an excellent layout, and they've got video where you can watch a lot of these panels from beginning to end. So there's really no purpose in us going through every single announcement. So I guess what we'll do is we'll go through and go through some of the announcements that are of interest to us or are perhaps more significant and so we'll just go from there okay first up we'll just head into the viz panel and apparently the one thing that was of note to me from the viz panel was that they've actually licensed the tech on kingcrete manga they'd licensed that for a very long time yeah and it's apparently going to be part of their viz signature line yeah it's basically a reprint because it originally was printed as black and white that was the name of it when they were releasing Pulp. And so you can still go out and get this manga, but it's long out of print, and so basically, now that the movie's coming out, they're going to reissue it. Onto the Bandai Visual panel. Of course, our favorite guy is Bandai Visual, who knows so well everything about the anime market and know exactly what American anime fan wants. Want. They showed two trailers for high-definition versions of the first and second Pat Labor movies. So, of course, even though these were the super-duper editions that Daryl and I bought, apparently we bought them too soon. These guys are kind of interesting in that they're the first ones that are actually going into the high-definition market. Although I'm not sure if I'm all for them going into HD DVD, since HD DVD doesn't seem to be the format that seems to be winning out. Especially not in Japan. It's Blu-ray by a mile. I think even in America, Blu-ray is pretty much winning out. Also, they talked about their high-definition release of Wings of Oniamis. Coming out on September 11th, never forget. Yes. <laughs> and that's going to be released on HD DVD, Blu-ray, and standard DVD. So that actually might be kind but of... But they all cost the exact same amount. How can you fault these people, Daryl? They know more about it than you do. They're professionals. They really know about otaku and, and what otaku want, Daryl. Exactly. They, they understand true. us. Actually, I heard that, and you might want to correct me on this because I didn't read too much about it, but... The HD DVD and Blu-ray releases include the DVD release anyway, and they're $80. I'm actually not 100% certain of that because I'm not looking at that right now, but I know that HD DVD has oftentimes been coming with the DVD version of it. So. I don't really understand that. Like, if you have a player and a television that can support HD DVD or Blu-ray, why would you want a standard DVD version? Yeah, I don't get it, really. I guess maybe it's an issue of maybe SKU numbers or something, that it's cheaper to print one disc than to print two. Hmm. I don't know. This is something that Clarissa may have mentioned already, but uh, we'll just mention it again. Aurora Publishing held their uh, first panel there, and they are a subsidiary of Japan's number one publisher of women's manga. Yeah, they, they focus mainly on Jose and Yoi, I believe. If you want to find out more, listen to Clarissa's segment. She covered that in more detail. 
In regard to the ADV panel, uh, Clarissa covered most of that in her uh, episode, but one thing of note is the HD content. Apparently, ADV has got an enormous amount of HD content going all the way back to when they licensed Spriggan some time ago. And apparently, most new shows coming out are done in HD. And I guess like a whole a bunch of the other companies, they are just kind of sitting around trying to figure out which format's going to win out before they actually start releasing all of this stuff. Right. They have the downloadable HD stuff on yeah. Xbox 360 Live. Yeah, I mean, even Akira's available there. And I guess with that stuff, you can just kind of give them the HD content and those companies will just do whatever they need to to get it onto the online portion. But I guess to sell it on disc, then you have to make that big commitment. So for Devil May Cry, do they know if they're going to actually fly in the guy who's the voice of Dante? Because he's not based out of Texas or anything, but I would think that since everybody who knows Devil May Cry knows exactly how Dante is supposed to sound, That's did, they, did they say idea. anything about that? They haven't said anything. This party's getting crazy. Let's rock. It's like it's already cast, at least as far as the recurring. Right, people. right. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, the games were made in English in Japan, and I believe that that actor, I think. He's been to anime cons before. He has? Okay. I'm not sure. I know that. I believe that they did go to, like, other companies when they cast, like, Nurse Witch Komugi. Soul Taker. Right. Yeah, that was Soul Taker, and they got some of the actors from different companies to do that, mm. so. It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. And they did the similar thing for Sayuki as well, didn't they? I think so. I think or Oh My Goddess TV. I think they tried to get people from yeah. the old dub for that. And I believe, I mean, this isn't ADV, but when Manga Entertainment got the Evangelion movies, I believe they went to... Yeah, they got the yeah, ADV people. Yeah, I think all but one person they could get. Right. So it's not impossible, and it would make sense. And then isn't Johnny Young Bosch the voice of the new guy in Devil May Cry 4? So he's already oh God. got his job. <laughs> I think he did the motion capture for the guy as well. Really? I believe he did. Uh, uh-huh. That was like the big secret from MetroCon last year. Like, oh, Johnny Young Bosch had to go zoom out to go do his Devil May Cry 4 work. I predict, and I guess this is not anything out there, but I'm pretty sure that Devil May Cry is probably going to be the biggest show of the year that it's released. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just be because surprised. so many more people who don't necessarily like anime, they like video games, they'll know what Devil May Cry is. And it's not a thing like Disgaea, where only the total anime people would right. like it, and then they go and see Disgaea, and it's a terrible show. Then they'll see Devil May Cry and see that it's, well... Well, Devil May Cry was pretty good, except for the lowly girl. Well, I was about to say, yeah, and then they'll be like, Dante will have a lowly, and they'll be like, very confused. I don't know, I haven't watched past that first episode, so it seemed kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to judge it based on that. I guess we'll see. I mean, obviously that's going to be something that's made very much with an American target in mind, because I don't believe Devil May Cry is very popular in Japan. On with the Right Stuff International panel. I believe Clarissa mentioned that they got the license to Lost Universe. They also got the license to Victorian Romance Emma. And what's interesting about this is that they're going to be releasing this in two thin-packed box sets for 40 bucks, and they are not going to dub this. And apparently Good, this... because this is not a show that a bunch of people are going to buy. Also, it would require a lot of British accents that yes. people cannot do. Yeah, no. this, uh, if Helsing this... is any indication. Actually, they cast actual British they, people they for Helsing. Really? Yeah, yes, those are real you British people. You know, everybody, people. they always say that. Jonathan Klein really always sound. laughs at people when they laugh at the fake British accents for Helsing because they're real British people and Anderson so is a real bizarre, Scottish though, person. Because none of them really sounded like real British people or yeah. anything. 
strange. But yeah, apparently the fact that it wasn't getting a dub sent off this shitstorm online. Basically, they really? came out... Really? I would not think that any of the people who generally prefer dubs would care about this show. Basically, they came out and they said, look, it's not financially feasible. If we want to do a good dub, we'd have to get British actors. Pretty niche show. And like Daryl said, it's going to be expensive to get those British people. So, yeah. I don't know. I saw a couple of episodes of Emma, so I'm not going to judge the show, but I kind of like this approach that they're just releasing it Two seasons, 40 bucks each at a time. It's kind of how the sub-only releases are supposed to be. Really, yeah. The way I would hope. Because it's 13 episodes a set, right? Yeah, it is. Like an episode zero or something. I actually would prefer that more shows got released that way. Yeah. Especially if it's a longer show. Emma's not that long of a show. But if a show is really long... I don't really want to buy it five episodes at a time, even if it's a Isn't reasonable Isn't that what price. they're doing with those Naruto uncut sets? Yes, those are 13 episodes at the time. They're about 40 or $50, but they sell really, really well. Yeah. yeah. At least from what I've heard. That yeah. seemed good. I liked that they seem to be packaging more episodes in each thing for that, because, God, that show is so long, and it's not even over yet. I wish they'd have done the same thing with... Bleach, because, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's one volume at a time as well. I wish uh, they had done that with Hajime no Ippo. That's the main uh, one. That really is a good example of a show that really should have been, like, a subtitle only, even though they really wanted to push that as something they could get onto ESPN or something. Yeah. It's more just once people look and they see 15 discs on the shelf, and they wouldn't have seen that for Ippo, because after Volume 4, they stopped carrying it in stores. But <laughs> for Loop on the Third, or something that's really long, yeah. and... It like doesn't really break the bank for you to... Well, at least UI, they released it in box sets first, and then they went yes. back and did the individual volumes. Oh, I'm that's fine true. with I that. I forgot about that. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I think they did the same with, like, Himaguri Orange Road, where they released the entire box set and then the individuals. Also, onto Bandai Entertainment, not Bandai Visual this time. Their panel, what it sounds like, was it was basically the Haruhi Suzumiya panel, which makes sense, because obviously Haruhi Suzumiya is going to be their big title for the next... Right. For, for a while, at least. And did they confirm season two of that? Is that what the big news is? Or I'm no, out of the they, loop. they didn't announce that at all. I, don't, I guess because it's not even airing in Japan yet. Because uh, someone told me, oh, they confirmed season two. And I was like, oh, okay. I haven't watched they, yeah, season they're supposed one to be announcing it somewhere. But yeah, what happened at the Bandai Entertainment panel? Not a whole lot. Of, this is the type of stuff that happens at AX. They just kind of surprised the audience with one of the voice actresses from Haruhi Suzumiya. She played the character of Yuki from the series. And the guy who handles all of the sound and the music for the series. Apparently there's going to be like 12 Harihi CDs released for the series. Is there that much music or is it going to be a lot of drama CDs and stuff? Good question. I don't actually know. I thought there was going to be like a drama CD included in one of the limited edition boxes. Not 100% certain of that, but apparently, yeah, they're going full on with Haruhi. For some of the non-Haruhi news, yeah, they announced a date on Solid State Society, which actually is out now. It's out already. Yeah. And also, and you might start to notice a trend here, they re-licensed Silent Mobius, Ica, and uh, they licensed Ica R16. And Silent Mobius, was this the one that was licensed by um, Streamline? Yes. Okay, because there was a Silent Mobius TV series that they licensed, so I wasn't sure if there was another movie that I'm thinking of, and Ica is, of course, was li originally licensed by CPM. Silent Mobius is one of those things that people only really remember for making porno out of and inspiring a lot of porn. <laughs> anyway, apparently there was a bunch of talk about Gundam. Apparently there's now, like, a team that does nothing but coordinate Gundam releases. And talk Maybe they should it. all be fired, then. <laughs> what is it that they do? 
they didn't talk a whole lot about it. There are a lot of questions about, are you going to get Turn A Gundam? Or are you going to release Turn A Gundam? That's not a question of getting it. And, you know, what about the Zeta Gundam movies and the plastic models and all that? And apparently they couldn't say anything. So That's a really good team. Yeah, it is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty crack squad they got assembled this there. This bodes well. Yeah, it does. So, who knows? I mean, when it comes down to Bandai and Gundam, Bandai's got all of Gundam. It's not an issue. They own it. Right. So it's it's just an issue of if they want to release something here. What if Bandai Visual says they want to release Gundam instead? Oh God. They will release it half an episode a disc for sixty dollars. <laughs> so you just get the half the episode and that the, you know the eye catch you have to get the next disc. Uh-huh. On with Funimation. Funimation is going to be continuing with their shitty shitty Dragon Ball Z releases, which a lot of our friends continue to buy because <sighs> they're so ex- they're so cheap. Talk about just a disaster. And, again, on with this trend, they are licensing the Love Hina TV series, which was originally licensed by Bandai. Yeah, I was about to say, that had already been released, right? Yeah, yeah. The trend is basically a lot of shows that were released on DVD before by other companies that have since lapsed for whatever reason are now getting re-picked up by other companies for re-release. Yeah. The question is, of course, do these other companies have the rights to the existing translations and dubs that were already made? Because it would be pretty ridiculous if they had to re-dub Lost Universe. Although Love Hina could use a re-dub. That could. Oh, yes. that dub was Why so not? Oh, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, the, the Indian accent. Oh. Wendy Lee is really proud of that Indian <laughs> accent, let me tell you. Yeah, we're actually not through with the savior licenses, as they kind of call them, but uh, since we're actually talking about it now, this interested me a lot, all of these savior licenses. Because if the original licensor thought that they could make money on them, they would have probably relicensed them. Yeah, I was about to say, some of these, like, okay, I mean, I guess Love Hina, well, I don't know how well it did in sales, but I remember it seemed to be pretty popular among the fans. I think it was a big show when it came out. It was definitely a big show. It was like right around the time when the digital fan subbing started to really take off. Love Hina was the big show and was a thing that 20 different groups did subs Yeah, I just didn't remember if it was one of those shows that was really big in fan subs and then nobody bought it. Probably, but Um, I I guess it did all right because they still licensed all the specials and OAVs and all that. I didn't remember Lost Universe being that popular. It never was. Or some of these other shows that they're... Did someone relicense Slayers, Gerald? Yes, Slayers was relicensed by, I believe, Funimation. Huh. And did they also get Lost Universe or someone no, else right has stuff. Lost Universe? Right okay, stuff. Okay, that's just like really strange universe. then. Slayers yeah, believe... was like a disaster. CPM? CPM? It didn't do well for them, even though it... they released all of it? Well, Except it... for the movies and stuff? Hold on a sec. Like, Slayers uh, was such finish. a big show, though. Slayers was a disaster for them in terms of the DVD production. Ah. And by that, I mean they released the entire box set of this, and some genius there decided to put all of the audio out of phase. And then they said, oh, we're sorry, let's go back and redo all the audio. They put it out again, and like half the episodes were out of phase. And And then they never fixed it? I don't know if they ever fixed that. Well, that'll be good to get a new release then of that. Yeah, I'm hoping that these companies will re-release these things in reasonable box sets because they have been released already. I just talked about this, and I can't really remember, but I believe the Lost Universe reissue is going to be Thin Packs. That makes sense. I actually don't remember if they said they were going to include the ADV dub, because according to David Williams, the original licensor owns those dubs. Mm-hmm. So they could license out those dubs without a problem. Well, right. Um, I mean, they made the dub, so it would be their IP. I remember the fan subs for Lost Universe. You could tell the fan subbers didn't give a shit, because it was like, hold on, let me install the new service pack, is what the subtitle said, and then the computer would go haywire, because they were just <laughs> really sticking it to Windows 
<laughs> NT 4.0 or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, just to clarify, ADV doesn't actually have the rights to those dubs. ADV, once they lose the license, they lose the license to that dub as well. The really? Because I would have thought since they make the dub... Nope, that dub is property of the Japanese licensor. Kind of interesting because the release of Media Blaster's Master of Musketon, I believe they put that out on DVD or re-released it, and they used the ADV dub. Did the way that they do it change, or were they just bullshitting when they say, oh, we couldn't put this older version on the disc because we don't have the rights? I think it goes on a case-by-case basis depending on the uh, contract that was signed. Uh So I actually have no idea. So I know that David Williams did say that we don't have the rights to those dubs anymore. So that might be their deal with Kadokawa or that company. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, I guess on with more news. The Dark Horse manga panel, done by everybody's favorite man of the year, Carl Horn. They uh, announced the license of Kazuo Koike's The Color of Rage. I am completely unfamiliar with this. Well, The Color of Rage, from what I speculate, is a mixture of red and white because of the two body fluids that best express rage in Kazuo Koike's world. So the color of rage would therefore be a sort of off-pink. Exactly. I wonder if the original title was Color of Rape, and they just thought, you know, that's too much, Color of Rage. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to look forward to it because Koike rarely lets me down. They also licensed the Gantz manga. Really interesting for about, what, seven volumes? And then they introduced, like, vampires. Yeah, I don't know. It got really crazy after a while. Like, you could tell the dude just started pulling things out of his ass because he was like, uh, dinosaurs and vampires. Yeah, People yeah, sure. really want us to Let's review Gantz. We get a lot of emails saying, yeah. please review Gantz. Yeah, Who's well, going to do it, though? Because if I do it, I'm just going to get really mad. I have the thin pack sitting right next to me, so uh, at some point in the future, one of us will be reviewing Gantz. Probably not me. It's going to have to be drawing straws, like, you know, oh. who's going to stay behind on the asteroid to self-detonate? <laughs> it's Russian roulette, then. Sorry, AJ. you got to take this badge back to Billy. Just so everybody knows, the uh, Gunsmith Cat's Burst is actually out. It's been out for a few months. They're on Volume 2 now, as a matter of fact. A Burst? No, no, that's the Omnibus. I've seen Volume 1 of Burst right next to Volume 2 of the Omnibus. Yes, the Omnibus. And I saw it a couple weeks ago. The Gunsmith Cat's Omnibus is this re-release of the original Gunsmith Cat's manga. This time it's unflipped and they've got a whole bunch of comments by the original creator. It's really neat. We'll probably review that at some point. And apparently this might be a regular sort of thing that they do, depending on how well the omnibus editions sell. It seems that pretty much all the manga I buy nowadays is either from Dark Horse, Vertical, or the Viz Signature line. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Dark Horse, there aren't many other companies that are doing, like, seinen. Yeah, they're pretty much the only game in town. Yeah, especially since um, Media Blasters went under, and of course Media Blasters' seinen wasn't exactly the... uh, pinnacle of what seinen could be unlike you know and it's the real seinen it's not the moe seinen like how strawberry marshmallow and azamanga daio count as <laughs> seinen even though i like azamanga daio but there's you have to specify which seinen you're talking about because all the yeah creepy lowly girl stuff is considered seinen it totally shocks people when they hear that that is considered seinen there's not a whole lot to mention about the ganeon entertainment panel as we all know their big 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 title is Helsing. So they're going to be releasing that in super-duper editions. There's apparently going to be, like, a pocket watch included with one of the editions. Things For like that. Ultimate, right? For Helsing Ultimate, yes. Yeah. I was really hoping that they'd announce Marimite. 
Because I think I had heard that Genion had gotten it, but they haven't announced it yet. So. Yeah, that was really interesting because actually the box sets for Marimite appeared on Diamond Distribution. And when stuff appears on the Diamond Distribution list, that's usually pretty solid evidence that they've got the license to it. But yeah, Genion basically went back and said, no, 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 the Marimite thing is wrong. This is not anime-related, but Atlas USA actually had a panel at Anime Expo. There aren't exactly a lot of video game companies that have panels at anime conventions, but I guess Atlas... The entire company of Atlas was at this anime convention, all five of them? But I guess it's kind of important to Atlas. For those of you who don't know, and we know that there are a lot of you out there who don't play video games, Atlas USA is this small subsidiary of this Japanese company, and they release these games that are very much marketed towards the anime crowd. Games like Disgaea, Persona, they're actually going to be releasing Growlancer and things like that. They're basically like how working designs used to be, except unlike working designs, they don't totally fucking suck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good description. Well, they totally fucking suck in that if you are interested in a game of theirs... Yeah, you have to order it right as soon as before it comes out or else you're never going to see it. Because yeah, they, they barely make print. any copies. And then you have to buy it for like 80 bucks if you want it or something. Yeah. Anyway, and it's around this time that someone was attacked in the dealer's room, which caused this big shitstorm again. Oh my god, really? Was he oh, shot? Even worse than shot. I mean... So the next god. step up. Yeah. Apparently, a disgruntled Robotech fan... A psychopath, if you've ever read his <laughs> posts on the Macross World forums, which I... Yeah, he, goes, <laughs> he goes by the name Chiron Prime, and he... Just, he looks he a, like a, a really big loser at life, but... <laughs> <laughs> and he posts on the Macross World forum, so he must be... Oh! Oh, burn. No, Daryl knows all about losing at life. I know about yes. it. I'm an expert. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he recorded this video of the entire incident, but he basically walked into the dealer's room, walked up to the Harmony Gold booth, asked to speak with Tommy Yoon, and immediately pied Tommy Yoon in the face. It wasn't even that good of a pie shot. You didn't really get that much. It was, like, slightly better than the Ann Coulter one, because he at least made some contact, but not uh, a very good pieing. Apparently he picked it back up and he pied the other guy in... Yeah, Tommy Yoon picked it up and he was like, whatever, Uh, bam! And he apparently got a better shot than the original (laughs) shot, but it seemed kind of weird, but, I mean, in the end, it seemed like it was all in good fun. Well, Tommy took it all in good fun. The guy who did it is like, yeah, is I'm a, yeah he's a psychopath. He's a lunatic. Yeah, yeah he Oh, is. really? I thought he was like, really strike a blow for justice. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, a good thing video, he didn't have a gun, basically. Yeah, the, yeah, the video is very entertaining, because, I mean, Tommy Yoon, clearly, this is just, you know, he can shrug this off or whatever. And, by the way, the reason was, and I don't really know the exact reason, but it's basically because of what he did in the Shadow Chronicles. Yeah, he was really mad that Shadow Chronicles was what it was, so he was going to yeah. pay back these people who don't truly love Understand. Robotech the way that Tom Bateman, who's no longer with Harmony Gold love Robotech, and these people have hijacked their beloved franchise, so he's going to strike a blow for justice, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I thought maybe he was just mad that why is Rick Hunter so goddamn old? Yeah, yeah, it should have been, like, something silly like that, but he was no joke about it, even though a pie in the face is the ultimate joke. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a dream of mine, if Yoshiyuki Tamino were to come to an anime con to get a friend to land a pie in the face. Eat that, Tamino. That's right. (laughs) Wings of Reen, what the fuck? And then he'd leap over the table and rip your throat out. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he wouldn't need to leap over. He'd use his new type psychic ability. 
He would just stand there and think he had the new type psychic ability, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he believes he does have Just concentrate really hard. He'd pull out, like, an iPhone, and he'd hit his button, and it'd play the little flash sound effect, like the new type. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like was that like, supposed to kill me? He's like, why isn't it working? Just wait. And apparently Chiron Prime, got, uh, Chiron Prime got banned from Anime Expo forever. Right. Oh, come so. on, God. I got really mad at this. I posted in the Anime News Network forum because so many people were like, Oh yeah, this is really good. What if the pie was filled with AIDS? Would it be funny then? Actually, yes. The concept of pie filled with AIDS. <laughs> I can't even say pie filled with AIDS with a straight face. Uh, well, I mean People always talk about, oh, in America, they sue people for these frivolous lawsuits that bog down the system. So many people are saying, you should have pressed charges for assault for that pie in the face. Because what if it was filled with shards of broken glass? It's, it's a fucking pie. Oh, well, what if it leads a bad example and, you know, everyone just starts going to anime cons with pies to just nail people for anything? I'm like, that would be awesome. No, it would be awesome until you get pied wearing one of your suits. I think it's stupid, too. I mean, if the guy who got the pie in the face didn't have a big problem with it, then who cares? Yeah, I, banning him for life is just too much. Yeah, Anime Expo, their con security has historically, for as far back as I can remember, been extremely control freak. Power trip. Fanboy types, as well as the fact that they're so big, a lot of times they have to hire security. I've always wanted to go to AX because they get really good guests, but every time one ends, I always just hear the worst stories about the con, and so I'm never really sure if I actually want to go or not. Yeah, I always think of going, and then I look at the airline tickets and then the hotel prices. And then people and... talk about having to stand in line all day, so they only get to do, like, three things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe going there with press to cut in front would be the way to go, but apparently the press didn't have a very good time either, mm. from yeah, what I've that, heard. I mean, I didn't go into it because this is just not really related, but there were a bunch of concerts held. I heard they had Japanese guests that were crying because, like, yeah, they got treated they, so badly. I believe there was a concert by a group named Skin. This oh, yeah, the Gacked and super duper mega hyper ultra yeah. J Rock stars this unite big together. Thing took like two hours to start. Walter Amos, who sent his voicemail that is now a year come and gone, that we haven't played his first voicemail. Maybe we'll wait until he sends us the video because <laughs> there's a video that he took uh, as well. But last year, he relayed in his voicemail that there was a big problem with the AMV contest. Because Anime Expo, the people who are on the AMV contest, right. they're total tech heads and they want to be at the cutting edge and you was have to submit it. Was that when the AMVs got stolen or was that this year? It was both years, actually, <laughs> Clarissa. Because that's, that's the punchline to the story. Awesome. Last year, they were too, oh, we don't need to have a backup of this thing. We'll just have the entire AMV contest on this laptop. And then they left that laptop unsupervised, and it got stolen. And they didn't really have a VHS backup because, ah, VHS, oh, that's God. old time technology. Who needs that? Or even another laptop or something. And so they were screwed. And then this year, you would think, okay, guys, last year... We had one copy, and that copy got lost. We're not going to make it wrong. <laughs> no, they had one copy on discs, like oh. Masters of Discs, that they left on a table, and boop, they were gone, and then they lost the entire AMV contest again. Oh, my uh. God. You'd think that in this day and age, when people can have 8-gig flash drives or whatever, that any one member of staff for the AMVs could just have the entire contest on a flash drive, on their person. Just on a yeah. DVD or something. Yeah, burn a disc! I mean, how hard is this?
Whenever I do a an panel, external hard drive, put, something. Yeah, I put a I put the panel on my laptop, and, and then I you burn a disk as well in case something happens to your computer. Yeah, that's it. So I can say, hey, does anybody have a laptop, or I can borrow Daryl's laptop or something. I knew one guy, Kevin Callahan. He was speculating that maybe they don't want there to be AMV contests since AX is trying, or they've been for years trying to say, we're the big industry con, since by default they're the largest con, so they want to be the place where industry. all the industry stuff happens. And AMVs kind of run counter to that, because, hey, it's kind of this elephant in the room that they're not technically legal. Then why don't they just step up and say no AMVs? Exactly. It's their fucking con. Maybe they're just at this point, it's like, oh, you have to have an AMV contest. like... You don't have to have an yeah, AMV I, you contest. You know, this is why I like Anime Week in Atlanta so much, because they're such a progressive con, because they will be the ones who will be like, okay, we're not going to have the rave, or we're going to have the rave and it's going to be off-site, and you know what? The world's not going to end. They'll do this stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. You'd, I guess oh, maybe well. AX is just too big to make those sorts of decisions. Well, here's what I heard. I heard that for two years they've had an interim chair or CEO or whatever, and so there's basically the people just directly below that level who all just sort of operate without any checks or supervision or communication. I don't know how much of this is true, but all I know is that Expo doesn't sound like my idea of a good time if you can get permanently banned for a pie in the face. I'd really hate to see what happened if a clown pistol were brought onto the grounds. <laughs> you would have been, like, attacked by yeah. a bunch of people, yeah. and then there they, would have been video of you just beaten up They would have called in the SWAT team. Declared me an enemy combatant, shipped me off to Gitmo. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Anyway, I guess on with some more news, since there are a bunch of other panels. Up to Tokyo Pop, and I believe Clarissa did go over some of their licenses. Um, of course, she missed the most important thing, that they're going to be releasing DJ Milky's original novel, Karma Club. Wow, it's really good they were able to get that license from DJ Milky. Yeah. And, you know, oh, no, really I'm coordinate so between DJ Milky and Tokyo Pop. I'm so uh, sorry I let everyone down by not talking I know. What, what, what are we going to do? That might not have been posted until after I recorded my news. It might have been, like, just for to catch everyone up, since we never explain what we're talking about ever, like how you were just saying Sanin just now, assuming everyone yeah. knew what it was. DJ Milky is the pen name for Stu Levy, who is the chairman and CEO of Tokyo Pop, but he likes to pretend he's a Japanese person, so when he releases these things, he's a Japanese guy, and you should read his stuff. We must associate DJ Milky with absolutely awful opening themes that have been redone for a lot of their anime titles, like GTO and... Initial, Initial D think, and Rain and yeah. Rave Master, as they called it. I don't know. If you've got this much money and your real objective is to make a star out of yourself, well, okay. Mm, whatever. whatever. Other than, like, Priest, Welcome to the NHK is the only Tokyo Pop thing... I buy at all. I'm behind on that. I need to buy. They've actually yeah. switched their release schedule. They now release quarterly instead of bi-monthly. Is it because they're just releasing too much stuff? It's now? either because they're releasing too much stuff or because they're hurting or something like that. Is I that just know. All of Maybe they want to take more time with the releases. I would hope for it would be so they could take more time. But yeah, if Viz can do quality. decent jobs on Kenshin or Naruto or whatever, and those come out monthly. I would think that Tokyo Pop would be able to put some super effort into things, especially because, remember, it wasn't that long ago and Tokyo Pop was the number one manga company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, now they can't be because all the big publishers have partnered up, like 
Yeah, yeah was show with Viz and Delray with Kodansha. Yeah, everybody else has got an in. Like Viz, pretty much automatically has all these shown and jump titles, and those are often the most popular series. And anything period. that they don't want, then Tokyo Pop can bid for. But it's usually, you know, yeah. the stuff no one else wants. It's all right. Tokyo Pop knows how to be kingmakers. You don't need the shown and jump stuff if you can make DJ Milky a superstar. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, they have Clamp. Clamp, I guess, is their big, yeah. big thing. Clamp and Fruits Basket person. Yeah. yeah. Although Del Rey's got some of the Clamp stuff, too. Oh, yeah. So they don't have a monopoly on Clamp either. No. Mm. But so, Tokyo Pop is still definitely doing a lot of it. So. Yeah. My favorite panel of this, and probably one of my favorite people ever to talk to at a con, Media Blasters and John Cirabella. I love John Cirabella so much. He does these panels. <laughs> oh, sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> That's my impersonation of John Cirabella's yeah. laugh. Yes, his laugh is so memorable. And like he does Paul these... Schaefer's laugh. It seems to sound like he's had a few drinks, but anyway, Meteor Blasters had a bunch of stuff to talk about. Of interest to us is that they have the Genshiken OAVs, but those are going to be included like Kujibiki OAVs were. You have to buy the oh, Kujibiki series. No. I don't believe they officially announced the second season of Genshiken that they have it, but they basically said, we're pretty sure we have it. So Yeah. Well, I guess I won't be getting the Genshin OAVs because there's no fucking way I'm buying Kujibiki. But I thought that the Genshin OAVs, I thought the TV series redid those first few OAVs. I thought that they, like, just restarted so you don't actually have to watch those OAVs. That is what I heard, at least. <clears throat> no, didn't we watch the first OAV and it had Ogiue show up? Yeah, and I thought that the first episode of the TV series had Ogiue show up as well. You mean the second season? The second season, right. Oh, uh, yeah, that, I don't know about that. Yeah, that, I'm I not sure about that. I haven't watched second season yet. Anyway, they also licensed, and we talked about this, a savior license on Golden Boy that was originally licensed by ADV Films and Angel Sanctuary that was originally licensed by Central Park Media. Yeah, it's an interesting manga, an OAV that made no sense. Angel Sanctuary was the original Moe before it was cool, except they, they went over the line because he actually got to bone what? his sister. <laughs> I'm confused. It's a shoujo manga, though. It'd be really nice if we could get some savior licenses like this for manga, so like things that got really bad translations could be redone. Like The Blackjack original releases? Well, well, that wasn't really that a was bad just, translation, yeah, it just, just wasn't enough. All of it. Yeah, they just only did two books worth. I was thinking more like, I talked about this when I did the new segment, but they just reissued Fake, Tsunami Mato's Boys Love Manga in Japan. Localization of Fake was really bad. I kind of hope that somebody else might be able to get it somehow. I somehow think that Tokyo Pop's going to be holding onto that pretty closely. Cirabella went on to talk about the anime stuff that they're doing, and as we talked about before, Voltron, Voltron, Voltron. They want to get out as much Voltron as quickly as possible, because that is what is making them so much money. Even though that show is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> God, I rewatched the show. Does not hold up. To, I used to love Voltron, and I rewatched that show, and it was so terrible. I forgot the mice existed. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I remembered the mice. I just didn't remember how awful them. the voice acting was. What's wrong with Pidge? Oh, huh? God. Or how Pidge? the fact that they had one woman in the entire cast, and so... <laughs> <laughs> she played everybody? She, oh. and then, like, apparently some of the guys had to do most Woman's of the random voice. female voices, so that also... Sven's really accent weird. changed every sentence. <laughs> yes. Yikes! <laughs> Ugly birds. Vultures may not be very attractive, but they gave us a hand, and we should be grateful. I'll always think they're beautiful. I'm thinking. Me too. 
When the gods come to take us to the arena, we'll rush them. Real clever, Sven. Ought to be good for a million laughs. I'm thinking... Quit looking at me! This is it! Finny! Finale! We've had it! Yeah, they tattooed my arm! Did they get yours too? Zarkon staging one of his famous tournaments. You're right, Keith. Let's put our heads together and work out an escape plan. I'm all for that. Gotta find some way out of here. I'm thinking. I mean, considering the, the, what they had to actually do with that show, like they didn't even have like the video. That's true. I have to give them credit for working with what they had. Yeah, if you want to find out more, listen to our Mark Handler interview. Apparently, when they did the recording, there was no video. They just had, this line must be exactly this long, and that's it. And so, yeah. considering that, I guess stuff actually matched up and sounded pretty good. But, yeah, it, it doesn't hold up very well. And of interest to us, I guess, or at least certainly to me, and I guess Clarissa, and maybe Daryl, is that Golion is still going to be coming, but that will be pushed back probably to next year. Vehicle Voltron is going to be coming as well. These are the original TV series that Voltron was made from. I just want to know if Golion's going to be cheap or not. Yeah. The Second Man Blade release was really good. Yeah. yeah. If they just if do the same thing, I would be no happy. complaints. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy with that too. That was I'm a, hoping a that nice Tech Command Blade is doing well. I really, really hope it's doing well enough. I've seen the set selling in stores still, so that's at least a one good yeah. sign. Yeah. We should review that so that we can talk about it some more. Anyway, Media Blasters also talked about Oh My God, it's the TV series. They licensed the first season of the TV series but they didn't license the second season, and ADV picked up on that. Of course, the reason is because if Voltron's selling so well and it costs them barely anything to get Voltron and they sell that much, the license for Oh My Goddess is astronomically huge and is not going to yes. sell as well as Voltron. Cirabella just kind of muttered that this show probably cost around a million and a half dollars to license, just to license. When you are doing that high numbers, you have to get into Walmart. The problem is, is that nothing is really done like anime is. There's nothing out there that sells four or five episodes of a TV series per disc. Everything is sold by the season, except for anime. Right, everything else. It's either a standalone movie, or yeah. you buy it in a full season at a time. Yes. And Walmart doesn't want to put six DVDs of the same thing out because it takes up too much shelf space. Not only that, but each DVD has got fewer and fewer sales. Right, because more yeah. people are going to buy Volume 1 than will buy Volume 5. It's not like right. suddenly more people will have bought Volume 5 than Volume 1, since you'd never yeah. do that if you're yeah, watching the no show. Sense. Yeah, you're always going to lose people, and so I believe Walmart kind of dumped them on carrying Oh My Goddess, and from what uh, John Cirabella said was that they made money on it, it just broke even. To make your money on that expensive a license, it's just not worth it. And I completely understand that. And apparently yeah. they wanted around the same amount of money for Season 2, even though they knew that Season 2 would not sell as well as Season 1 did. But ADV knew that, and they went in for it anyway. So I guess they must be making crazy bank on Robotech and Hello Kitty that they can subsidize these gigantically colossal releases to pay for that. Maybe they license a lot of other stuff by that original licensor so they get a better deal on it. Who hmm. knows? I guess of note was that they were doing all of this PC stuff as tool, and they got the Samurai Deeper Kyo 2D fighting game for the Game Boy Advance. I, that was, all right. That was kind <laughs> of out there. Yeah. And they also mentioned that they released the Bible Black original PC game and the Discipline PC game, and they say that these things are bears to do because there is more dialogue in this than there is in, like, an entire TV series. Yeah. And then they like sell trailing. one copy, and then it gets torrented. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Bible Black did well for them. The game did? Yeah, it did. So, who knows? 
And, of course, our favorite company, Manga Entertainment, the studio representative, Keith Burgess. Keith Burgess is just keeping it real still after all these years. <laughs> Though he lied to me. There's Mad Bull never got released on DVD, Keith. How, how could you do this to me? They're going to be concentrating entirely on Highlander. That is selling extremely well. It sold over 30,000 copies, which for anime... Is about 30 on. times better than most anime releases do. Yeah. That's really sad. Oh, God. That's what I heard, like, unofficially off the record. Like, if you go and you ask people, how much do anime DVDs typically sell? They'll give you some ridiculous number. The real answer is that your typical anime release, like an average performing thing, a thousand copies. And oh. a really big super hit like Full Metal Alchemist, 2,000 copies. So think of all the Full Metal Alchemist people out there. And that was volume one. And like Gerald said just now, it drops down with subsequent oh, volumes. God. So if 2,000 people out of all the anime con people, all the anime fan people bought Full Metal Alchemist and that was it, everyone else saw it on TV or everyone else downloaded it. Yep. How is this industry still going? I don't know. Deals it, it, with Satan. I guess so. Yeah, Highlander, that anime, which I haven't seen, although... Everything I I've saw it. About. That's actually funny because I've heard nothing but bad things about that movie. Yeah, it's not... Uh... Which is why I haven't watched it. Well, there's going to be, like, all Highlander movies, there's going to be multiple cuts of the film, because the English cut, there's seven scenes missing, because they decided that it was too boring. And so the Japanese cut is a decent amount longer. So they're going to be releasing later this year a two-disc, you know, super cool edition. Yeah, that really surprised me, that apparently the Japanese edition is going to be so much different, but... I don't know. Every single Highlander movie has so many different editions yeah. that they just have to keep it real, I guess. That's mostly Highlander 2. Highlander 3 is a director's edition. cut, and then so does Highlander Endgame, and then so does the first one, so that's every single one. Yeah. I'm sure there's Highlander The Source uncut, and then there's Highlander TV series uncut. Uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, Daryl's favorite thing ever, Karis, second volume is going to be released in October. Woohoo! Um, it took them a long time to come out. Yeah, it's wow. still not done being made. It was supposed to be six episodes in all, and then Wasn't the reason that they was originally didn't... announced for like October last year. Yeah, it was. Okay. At least with something like that, with just really, really expensive-looking animation, you can see. Okay, it must take quite a bit of time to make this, but still very delayed from what it should have been. When the first disc came out, that was one of the top ten selling DVDs of the year. Presumably, if Part 2 comes out, even if it does half as well, that's still much better than most anime releases do. Manga video is just very good or lucky at picking things, because that's kind of how that company survives. Yeah, they guess basically had one big title, and then that sustains them. And then everyone else wants to find what the big titles are, and so they license all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. But manga's probably got the best track record as far as... Hits to releases. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Toko isn't flying off the shelves as much as they'd hoped for. Nor should it. Oh my god. We should review Toko. We should review Toko. Oh my god, it's... 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 a show. It's a show. It's, it's a, a show. show. You like Helsing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you like sperm with faces jumping at you? Can't get enough of it. Exactly! They were also... Beginning a- to sound like a trauma film. <laughs> there was a keynote address, anime in the US, by Keizo Tsuchiya. He heads up the office of JETRO, the Japanese government agency for promoting trade, investment, and technology between Japan and other countries. I'm reading this directly off of ANN's news page, so you should read there first. Did they say it stood for JETRO, like the guy from Beverly Hillbillies? JETRO. Oh. J-E-T-R-O. <laughs> he did mention, and you don't hear figures like this very often, but he said that the U.S. market for anime is $4.35 billion. 
and the market for manga is $200 million. And really? That seems very odd, because it seems to me yeah. that more people, by far, seem to be buying manga than buying anime DVDs. Now, yeah, that's hold on been a my impression, too. I heard these figures before. From what I understand, $4.35 billion, that is all anime and anime-related merchandise. And from oh, what I understand... Is manga considered anime-related merchandise? I guess manga, according to this guy, is its own thing. They're I was about manga. to say, like, if most DVDs only sell, like, around a thousand copies. But yeah, yeah if they count in merchandise, like t-shirts... And, from what I understand, a yeah. good 90% of that is merchandise. Yeah. And I can kind of believe that. Well, yeah, especially for, like, the more popular shows, especially the Shonen Jump properties. It's like we said in earlier episodes, those aren't really designed for people to go out and buy on DVD. It's more yeah, like you not. watch the show, and then you buy the video game, and then you buy right. the keychains and all that. But you just watch it weekly on television. Yeah. Anyway, this is a really, really fucking long segment, and we're not even done yet. This is going to be one of the longest episodes ever. But as another side note, and this is kind of a personal bit of news. You've got AIDS. From an AIDS-infected pie? Exactly, I got AIDS from an AIDS-infected pie. <laughs> All I can think of is that song from Family Guy now. Our good friend Tim Eldred does this fan comic called Star Blazers Rebirth over at StarBlazers.com. And he's been working on this thing on and off in his spare time for years and years, hasn't he? And this is coming to an end. He actually did a DVD documentary, an excellent one in 2005 or 2006, all about Star Blazers and Yamato and all that, and apparently he's found so much more stuff that he can pretty much do another documentary if he wanted to, but apparently a lot of it is going to be going up on the Star Blazers website. So if you've got any interest in Star Blazers or Yamato, check this out. Also, be sure to check out Star Blazers Rebirth. And check out our interview with Tim Eldred if you don't know who he is. Yes. It's one of the earlier episodes we did. Check out the yeah. website for the exact link. With that... Does anybody have any other thoughts? I actually have some other minor news myself. Okay. It's mainly related to, you know, earlier in the intro when we did the drawing for who won 0091. It's really good that we did the drawing when we did, because Podcast Pickle just reset everybody's favorites list to zero again. So uh. if we had waited, like, a day, <laughs> we would have lost all of the potential entrance, but, you know, there you go. The other thing, I don't know when this episode is going to come out. Now is actually the time of year when they're doing all the weird podcast award things and you have to get nominated for stuff. Do we care about this? I don't really care about it. It's just, like, it's really weird how, like, the scam operates. The one real high-profile one is podcastawards.com. They've got all these crazy rules like, oh, you can only nominate things once ever. Ever? Yeah, you can only submit one nomination. If you submit multiple nominations, you get thrown out. But until the 15th or whatever, you have to go nominate things. You can nominate things for only one category, and there's all this crazy stuff. Anime Pulse won last year for cultural arts, so if you go there to podcastawards.com, you can nominate them for cultural slash arts and then sabotage this thing one more time. I would say to nominate us, but you can only submit one set of nominations, so it would have to be choosing between us and other anime podcasts, so screw that. I'm pretty sure that just the masses of people that listen to Otaku Generation... They don't really seem to... They don't push this, though. Yeah, they don't seem to push that stuff on people. But if you go to yeah. podcastawards.com, greatest movie ever for my nomination for movies film and Dave and Joel for gaming... There's a couple of set categories, and you can only submit one nomination form, and then once the voting starts, then you have to vote once a day. It's really stupid. And the idea oh, okay. is you have to keep going to the site and keep looking at their ads. Is there uh -huh. any way to make this online voting thing actually work? 
ever? I don't know. This thing is a glorified so. popularity contest because at the end of the day, it's done by number of votes. And then when you look at their criteria for nominations, 55% of their criteria has nothing to do with your podcast itself. Uh. It's entirely, the number of nominations is 40%. Quality of website design, 15%. <laughs> And then what? things like sound quality is 15. Quality of delivery and show format, 10. That's, R- relevance that of content, 20. It, th- wait a second. The delivery is less than the website? Yes. The, the nominations is 40%, and how your website design looks is worth more than the quality of podcast delivery and show format combined. That is pointless. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, these awards things are largely BS. I mean, I would have sort of hoped to get nominated for that Parsec Awards thing because maybe I could scam a free trip to Dragon Con out of it, but we didn't get emails saying, "Hey, you got a nomination." So, I guess we didn't get anything. Oh well. But yeah, it's less work for us because if we had gotten nominated for that, we would have had to put together like a 10-minute sample encapsulating all that the Anime World Order podcast is, and we'd have no idea what to possibly do. Anybody have any sort of thoughts or feelings about this year's Anime Expo? Anything come to mind for you guys? Same story as always. It's really, really big. The staff was not knowing what they were doing, it seemed. Like they and were I mean, really... just the news coming out of it as well. Well, the news seems to be continuation of last year. Like, fewer licenses, not really any big earth-shattering stuff going on. I mean, okay, yeah, you got Devil May Cry. It seems to me that the way that these big giant cons are going is not that the emphasis is on the big licenses, the big news announcement. The emphasis is on throwing a concert. And that's where pretty much all the big, huge problems stem from is that they're throwing concerts at anime cons. And, geez, most people, if you want to go to a concert, you'd, you'd just go to a concert. Well, the problem is is that most of these acts wouldn't get a concert. They wouldn't get a gig, it's true. But just the added stress of having to get all these people whose job it is just to do concert stuff, it really puts a strain on the anime convention model, so to speak. Yeah, and I understand that making money on your concert, especially if it's like, Super duper gigantic, like I guess skin and what? Lark and Seal from Lark Oticon a few years back. Oticon. I understand it's hard to make money on these things. Yeah, it costs so much to get these guys. Yeah. And even though they're big guests to the people who care, even if you get 5,000 people or 7,000 people, that still might not be enough. What it might come down to also is that they have one show there. So they're coming over all this way for one show or maybe two, and they're getting paid hundreds of thousands for one show. Unlike if they did, like, a tour of America. I mean, yeah, I heard that GACT actually wanted quite a bit of money because there was a chance that Metrocon could have gotten GACT, but he wanted so much money that it wouldn't make sense. I think the problem is that we just don't really have, like, Japanese music has never really been able to make it very big in the U.S. Most of the people who seem to listen to Japanese music are people in the anime scene. Right. It's really hard to find people that are going to do concert tours separately. Yeah, Um, and on that subject, Clarissa, there, I believe, Hikari Utada, she is this really big Japanese pop star. Did the songs for Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts and all that. And her big thing was she wanted to move into America, but she didn't want to fall into that Japanese anime buying group. She wanted to be a legitimate out there in the mainstream pop artist. And they tried really hard, and I guess she kind of failed at that. Interesting that I guess it's like the Japanese artists, their big audience is the anime market. Well, makes sense. Yeah. 
It's just, you know, from a convention planning perspective, the added work brought right. on by having to put on concerts is yeah. just, it's its own monster unto itself. And it can really, like, mess people up as far as, you know, oh, the crowd's for this. Well, how is this going to affect everything else at the convention? Yeah. Doing the sound checks and all that, like you said. Momoi Haruko, she had to cancel a whole bunch of her events because the staff was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah. if she didn't cancel all her other appearances, she wouldn't have been able to do her sound check. So, I mean, maybe you're not going to be able to get as many people gathered up elsewhere, but, I mean, it's really putting a strain on the anime cons to have to do these big, giant concerts. Any thoughts on the licensing? I was actually surprised at the number of these shows that were relicensed. In fact, I can't actually think of yeah. another time when we've had so many relicenses. With the exception of Love, Hina, it's not like most of the relicenses were super-duper popular back in the day. Golden Boy, yeah, people remember Golden Boy. Half of it's because Doug Smith goes to every anime con. Yeah. And his claim to fame is that he was in Golden Boy. I know people must like it because tits are awesome. Angel Sanctuary is not exactly... Well, Angel Sanctuary has a big following, at I least. Guess. And you could see, like, all right, well, there are people who would want that to be around. But, I mean, come on, Dragon Half is out of print. I would think Dragon Half has more of a following among anime fans than some of the stuff that got picked up again. Like, Lost Universe, was that ever that popular? I bet that Dragon Half must be a licensing hell issue, because those older OAVs from the early 90s and such, and the, those things are impossible to find the owner of. Yeah, like Golden Boy. But most of the licenses, like you said, not very super spectacular, because maybe there hasn't been that much of a killer app anime title to come out, with the exception of maybe Devil May Cry. What sort of killer app thing well like if they came out there and announced blank title what would that i guess the only thing that would really floor me is if they said we are going to be releasing legend of the galactic heroes and it's not going to be one of those ten thousand dollar box sets yeah that'd be a killer app for me but no one else is going to no care yeah, and that's only for like 10 people <laughs> yeah devil may cry yeah. is the biggest anime yeah. title as far as things yeah. that got announced well i mean and most of the really big series are already coming out here like naruto and bleach Arahi. so yeah, so. Harhi's already been gotten. Gundam's always wrapped up. Claymore hasn't been licensed. Is that that big of a that, show, though? The manga's coming out, and it's pretty popular in the fan subs. It's one of the more popular shows coming out in the current season. Mm -hmm. And so I would think somebody would have licensed that because it seems right up the alley as something to be sold in America. Mm -hmm. yeah. Action series, pretty violent. Sort of appeals to all the Berserk people. Did anybody um, announce the Welcome to the NHK anime yet? Yes, oh, okay. ADV has got that, and they announced that uh, a little while ago. Oh, all right. But yeah. The Savior licenses are kind of interesting to me, just because I just think that the companies that originally licensed that must be scratching their heads as to why these guys are licensing this show. It's not like a lot of these shows, they can really do anything more with the release. They're going to have yeah. to re-release the same thing. The only thing I can think of is that... Maybe they could get extras that the original release wasn't able to have? Yeah, older shows don't have a lot of extras, though. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Agent Ica got a remastering a couple of months ago. And so they might be able to do the remastered thing. Sure, it's Agent Ico, whatever. But, I mean, I can't think of anything that was done for Golden Boy or Angel Sanctuary. Actually, did anyone license Darker Than Black? Because that's another high-profile show that's obviously meant to be sold here. I want to say I heard about that. That's a Where bigger, that's that a big mentioned? show? Well, it's meant to be a big show, is what I'm saying. I mean, I don't personally like it all that much myself, because yeah. it's a really good premise that I don't think is being executed all that well. 
I'm I guess actually, Gurren Logan would be the other big. Yeah, that's another pretty popular thing yeah, as Darker well. Darker Than Black got licensed by Funimation. Okay. I knew yeah. that I had seen it mentioned, and I just couldn't remember. Yeah, Gurren Logan is a big show, which is really interesting because it is a giant robot show, but it is Gainax at the same time. Yeah. So it's also not going to be sold for forty dollars a disc. Yeah. Or be named Gunbuster Two. <laughs> I bet that the roof came down when they did mention Devil May Cry. Uh, well, I guess no real surprises, but then again, we haven't really seen a lot of surprises anymore, just because I yeah. guess we're so attuned to the idea of like almost everything getting licensed, or almost everything we care about getting licensed in some way. Oh, yeah, that actually reminds me. Um, a little while ago, it probably wasn't at actually AX, I can't remember when it was they said it, but apparently, I guess, they're finally putting Clamp Campus Detectives on DVD? Yeah, I heard about that as well. That was like one of the only ones that that particular company had had from VHS that they hadn't done yet, and I guess they finally are going to be doing it, so... Oh, and speaking of savior licenses, what's up? Can't anyone do a savior license on Airmaster? No, because no one cared about Airmaster. You know what else nobody cares about? Monster. How come nobody ever licensed that? (laughs) Okay, fine. It's exactly the same as the manga which is coming out. When did that ever stop anyone? When it doesn't have 10,000 copies being sold in Shonen Jump? Yeah, it doesn't care. Whatever. (laughs) I want to see Monster come out. Yeah, so do I. Any final thoughts, I guess? Since this is, you know, AX, and we have an hour and a half long news segment. (laughs) I don't know. For the, the show that's supposed to be the number one professional go-to industry place that they really want to be that for whatever reason the studio reps are kind of hesitant on being that they still exhibit a lot of the problems that regular small cons still have and these guys are at the point where they pretty much run this con for a living it's its own job the higher-ups do get paid some amount because it is so much work and they should be over some of these more elementary problems like Hey guys, when you do, you know, your AMV contest, have things like this, or set up the entrance so that there's not one and only one way in and one and only one way out. <sighs> Little things like that that you'd think that a con of such a gigantic scope and size would have down pat. And I can't speak for exactly what the story is behind why some of these companies didn't want to get tables or what exactly happened to the guests. Do they just not have enough staff? I know with a lot of the cons around here, at least, most of the people working it, I mean, obviously, you have the people that are higher up running everything, and and that's fine, but most of the regular people are just volunteers. And you always lose a good half. Mostly who just want to get into the con for free. Yeah. And so when you have a con that's that large, that caliber of staff is just not really going to be capable of doing that well or knowing what the fuck's going on. And in the case of Expo, they had to hire people to run security, like actually hire a security agency. Has anyone ever heard of Mega64? Mega64 is... That sounds vaguely... Okay, they're like a comedy group. They do video game-related humor, and they're really famous, and they did like the commercials for the Spike TV Video Game Awards, and somehow they got to meet Shigeru Miyamoto and blow everyone's mind. But they were guests at the con, supposed to be doing a panel, because they're really popular. And they nearly got banned from the convention for doing nothing. One of their friends was in costume, and they had a prop whip, and security was like, hey, you can't have that. They said, okay, fine, we won't have it. By the time they got to pick up their badge, they said, you've been banned from the convention because you attacked a security guard. And they're like, what? That's ridiculous. Between the time you know they walked from where to where in the computer that was already there, and they were lying completely, and they have the video to prove it, 
what's going on with the security people here. Yeah, one of the complaints I've heard about this year's expo and maybe some of the other years was that, interestingly enough, there wasn't enough communication. People would ask certain staff, what's the holdup with this event? And they're like, oh, well, we don't know because that's the so -and -so department. video room staff or whatever. Or that's so-and-so other group, and we have no idea what they're doing. And that we sort of makes sense. We don't sense know anything about what's going on with them. With what I was saying about the, you know, they were supposedly don't have a full-time CEO for the last two years, mm -hmm. and then next year they're not even going to be in the same con location. They're moving Back to another to venue. Old location. They move all the time, don't they? It they usually like stay they in move the same place for a while. Yeah, but it's just once they're moving to another area, then it's another. Whenever a con moves to another area, you've got new sets of concerns to deal with. You've got to resolve a lot of old problems again. Yeah. So unless they fix a whole lot of stuff, now is really the time for another convention to come in and maybe take the crown jewel from AX as far as being like the place to go. I don't know if Otakon is going to be it. Maybe it can be over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I so wish. So I can have a big convention that I won't have to go across the country to go to. The problem with Otakon is that they have basically stretched what they can do with the space that they right. have. So they would have to move locations, and as far as I can tell, everyone there lives around there who is involved in it, so that would be hard. I thought Otakon's like, headquarters was in Pennsylvania. It's something within a reasonable distance, but I understand that just on the eastern seaboard, for the amount of money that they want to charge people to get in and the amount of space that they need, Baltimore is kind of the ideal. While in New York, holding conventions in New York is Unfreaking believably expensive. Everything in New York is unfreaking yes. believably expensive. Which is why I think that even though it's really expensive, that New York anime con that they started, the one that like Diamond is paying the money for, yeah, maybe that could be like the industry place because hey, it's already Diamond distributors, and if you get in with there, you're you know already yeah. dealing with the people who do a lot of the distribution for, especially the merchandise, like not so much the DVDs. But if a lot of that money, like you said, is in the merchandising, Diamond is kind of the people who are going to be carrying your anime merchandise. Not that we'd really want them to do that. But... Not that it's a really good deal, because it's Diamond, and Diamond fucking sucks. But Yeah, they do. AX kind of slipped and dropped the ball a bit for like two years running now. If someone else could really get their act together, they could maybe unseat Expo. But I think now, all they're doing, as far as who's the number one con, is attendance numbers. And do you really think Anime Expo is really ever going to say they had fewer attendees? Yeah. They're just going to bump it up a little bit if they need to. Yeah, yeah, they just need to, you know, fudge it however. But, I mean, there were some preliminary numbers Sunday, and then by Monday the number jumped by, like, nine or 10,000. And I'm like, <laughs> did nine or 10,000 people really come to the con just Monday? Uh, I don't know. I can't answer that. Some people and, were saying maybe that that number was the number of people who got, like, comp badges or something. But Yeah, if you aren't reporting a number, just 100%, you know, how much money the con brought in, then your number is just being egotistical. It's really just, well, what did the other con that weekend do? Let's increase it by a couple, however much. And then that's why we never staff anime conventions, any of us here. Do you think that it might end up moving towards how, like, E3 has now moved towards? And for those of you who don't know, E3 is the massive gaming convention, and the big deal this year is that they used to be, like, pseudo-industry only, but the requirements for getting in were, like... Work at yeah, GameStop. Kind of a joke. Yeah. Basically a public convention with very minor requirements, but now they are industry only, only, only. And so now everything is now pretty much controlled and the announcements are controlled. If Expo really wanted to be the industry convention as they seem that they want to be by the way that they run their event, 
that would make sense as a way to go about mm -hmm. bringing that about. The problem is, is that the amount of people who attended E3 last year versus the amount of people who attended E3 this year is going to be dramatically lower. And from yeah. an ego perspective, if they're willing to say they went from 44,000 to like 5,000 5, or something yeah. like that at the expense of being the place where all the industry stuff happens, then yeah. But something tells me... An industry-only anime gonna convention wouldn't even have 5,000. An industry-only anime convention would have like 200. So, well, I think if I mean, they did an industry-only anime convention, they would have to relax the standards, like how E3, it's like, oh, do you own a comic book shop? You're in. You know, maybe, like, podcasters get in or something. I, <laughs> no, we wouldn't. I don't think so. I would yeah. never be professional enough, because we've already established that I'd make a pie through the metal detector. I guess we should cut this thing for what it's worth, since it's now is officially over an hour and a half long. Longer than the rest of the show. Yep. But it I is know, man, If we're going to be part of the anime industry, I, I want to start seeing some money. Yeah, I want to get paid for this junk. <laughs> or at least get someone else to edit it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we should get on with the rest of the show. So, um, why don't we just do that right now? Wait, you mean this isn't going to be the show? Might as oh, well crap. be. Consider it punishment or retribution or making up for the month of delays. <laughs> Good, you, know, you want us to be back? All right, here's three hours. No edits. What's really bad is that as we uh, record this, there is still some news coming out of Anime Expo. Mm. So still yeah, a bit we'll of... save it for another day. Yeah, yeah. In the year 2007, the planet Earth was hit unaware by a bombardment of cosmic rays, rendering all life dull and boring. Dubbed the Aurora Mundane, scientists predicted that unless a way was found to stop it, the phenomenon would cause all life on Earth to literally die of boredom. It was then that the UN received a message from a mysterious entity, calling himself Bakuk. He told the world the source of the Aurora Mundane, located some 800,000 light years away, deep in the sea of Popcultria, a deadly nebula in which anybody who has journeyed has never come back to tell the tale. The concept was scoffed, knowing that an independent journey would end in failure. However, one group rose to the challenge. Now, our only hope for salvation lies in the brave men and women of Otaku USA, navigating through the sea of pop culture to bring you the best in anime, gaming, cosplay, and much, much more. Mankind only has one year left before the Aurora Mundane takes effect. Waste no time and do your part to help stave off the threat. Buy a copy of Otaku USA Magazine today. www.otakuusamagazine.com Good luck, brave warriors of love. Hello, Anime World Order. This is General Beefy once again, and this time I have a question. It's very important, and I think may enlighten some of the uh, peoples out there to certain necessary things. Now, as I said before, Gerald, you sound like a good friend of the General's, and I was just wondering, like my good friend, have you never gotten laid? Just, it'd be interesting to find out. Thank you. E 
usually when I'm looking at something to review for the show, I oftentimes look to things that I either really like or things that I feel like I can talk about a bit more. And once in a while, I'll look at something that's really terrible so that I can have something to say. Well, this time, I've got the super-duper extremes of both. And I chose the show specifically because I think it'll inspire a lot of conversation. And this show is the 1990-39 episode classic series, classic in uh, both respects, Fushigi no Umi no Nadia, or Nadia of the Mysterious Seas, or, as it's known in America, and pretty much everywhere outside of Japan, Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water. That was the official English name. Yes, that's right. This is, quite simply, the most inconsistent and uneven anime ever made. Who is responsible for such a thing? We will get to that later. In fact, we will pretty much take up this entire enormously long review with that later. But first of all, what is Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water, about? Black people! Do, 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 do! <laughs> exactly! On to the rest of the <laughs> review. <laughs> That's it, anyway. review's over. Let's all uh, go, go to bed. <laughs> the story of The Secret of Blue Water is about Jean Coq de l'Altigue, or as you may get to know him better as Nadia's bitch. <laughs> Jean is a yeah. young guy. He's about 14 years old, and his father was on this ship exploring the seas, and his ship disappeared, and so now Jean is effectively an orphan because his mother is also dead. And Jean also happens to be this really brilliant inventor and is really, really obsessed with building flying machines. This makes sense because the show itself is set in 1889 in France. Specifically, it's set in Paris at the World's Fair. At least that's where it starts. This World's Fair is most well known as the unveiling of the Eiffel Tower. I also originally thought that it was some big deal like flying show event, but apparently that was made for the show. And one of the things that the series conveniently ignores was the biggest event at the World Fair in 1889, which was called the Negro Village, which had 400 Africans put in a zoo-like situation. Why would they not talk about that? I don't know. It's Japan. Oh, my God. Uh, I wonder why that didn't make it into the show. Anyway, Jean is in Paris, and he's going to show off his new flying machine. While preparing this flying machine, he sees this beautiful, dark-skinned girl riding on this bike, and he goes off to meet her. He finds out that her name is Nadia, and she's being pursued by these bad guys. These bad guys are kind of interesting in that these are the standardized bad guys from pretty much all 1970s kids' shows. They were actually standardized in this show called Time Bokan, and that is that there is a beautiful woman. Usually a fiery redhead. Usually. In this case, the woman is named Grandis Granva, and she has two underlings, one of whom is a short, fat, and extremely smart guy, in this case, a guy named Hanson, and a tall, slim, and extremely strong guy, in this case, Sanson. They're after Nadia for this jewel that she wears called the Blue Water. Who's of course, everyone knows the idiotic trio from Pokemon is probably the best example of what Gerald's talking about, this carryover from Time Bokan. Yeah, they don't usually yeah. use these things anymore. In fact, I believe that Nadia was kind of the last show to use this, but it was used throughout the 80s and the 70s. Well, Team Rocket is the main one that I was thinking of. Yeah, Team of. Rocket's got two people, though, so... Well, me, the well, there's thing, a yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. I've You're never right. seen an episode of Pokemon. I don't know his name. Mute, I will check huh? it on Google. Meowth, Meowth. yes. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's what he says, too. Aha. Yeah. To watch Pokemon, so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Nadia, they find out, is also an orphan. 
She has no idea where she's from, but she thinks that she's from Africa. She's not sure. Through some other circumstances, Nadia is... You mean is, she doesn't know, like, where her parents are from? She doesn't know or, anything about herself at all. Does she have, like, amnesia? No. It, well, it's actually unclear what's wrong with her. All that she knows oh, is that okay. all of her memories are from when she was with the circus troupe, and that's what she is. She is actually an acrobat and a lion tamer in the circus, and she actually has a pet lion cub named King. No, 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 no. See, that's just the ruse. No, what Nadia is, is a bitch. Yeah, that An is annoying true. bitch. Oh, dear God. And my God, is John ever a saint? Anyway, Nadia gets in trouble. No, he's just a dweeb. <laughs> well, there's the bitch, and then there's the bitch's bitch. Anyway, Jean rescues Nadia from these characters. Eventually, Nadia ends up living with Jean, and Jean decides to help Nadia get to Africa. The big thing that really sets the story on is that they are taken in by Captain Nemo, who is an absolute spitting image of Captain Glovel from the original Macross TV series. Yeah, it's the same dude. It is, basically. It's the same person. And his crew, who are trying to fight this evil organization led by a mysterious man named Gargoyle, who is trying to take over the world and get Nadia's blue water jewel. And incidentally, the organization's name is also Gargoyle, is it not? And they wear KKK. I was they, about to say, wasn't this the one that they all had the KKK? They all look exactly like the KKK. Yeah. They're all now, big fire. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty horribly simplified version of the plot, because Secret of Blue Water is one of these shows, kind of, sort of like, I don't know, Berserk or something, in that each episode builds upon the previous episode. The real, actual storyline of it isn't revealed until sometime into the show. Yeah, I don't think I ever finished the show, and I think by the time I left off watching it, I wasn't sure if the show actually remembered it had a plot. Yeah, a lot of like... it in the beginning, I mean, I didn't think it meandered too much, but a lot of it in the beginning is, oh, Jean and Nadia do this, and they go and meet this person, and then they do this, and they go and meet this person, and it all sort of is meant to get them to a certain point in the show. But it does right. take a little while to get there. Yeah, now, it, it seems pretty episodic. I don't know if I agree with you, actually, because, I mean, even early on, you'll start an episode, and then suddenly Jean and Nadia are in the middle of the ocean, and their ship is sinking. Well, the ship sinks because everything Jean invents fucking breaks. And, <laughs> and then, you know, another episode, oh, they're on the ship, and another episode, they're on an island, and we'll get to that no. later. No, yes, we will. No, anyway, oh God. the show itself was the first TV series by the then pretty new studio, Gainax. This was the first TV series they ever worked on, and it was also something of a testing ground for Hideki Anno. Yeah, Mr. Evangelion. I thought they didn't have a lot of control over this, though. This was on the NHK. The NHK like, they were... worked on it, but I, I thought that they didn't... Like, it wasn't really their show in the sense that they didn't really get to make it the way they wanted. Well, the story, as I always heard, was there was a connection, and Gerald would go into this, there was somewhat of a Studio Ghibli connection. I'll go into that, right. It's interesting that you bring that up, because there was definite creative control if you look at later shows that Gynax had much greater creative control, like Evangelion. You can kind of see the Gynax seeping in. Yes, you definitely see that. But you're right in that this was a show where NHK called the shots. In fact, they called the shots so much that they single-handedly destroyed the show. But we'll get to that. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's a lot of things that kind of co-conspired to destroy the show, and then a mostly equally set of things that co-conspired to make the show awesome. Oh, God, we will get to this. This is such a big part of this review. 
uh, Daryl, you were just talking about this, and okay. when you watch the show, you'll get a very distinct feeling of Miyazaki. There's a lot of Miyazaki flavor in this. The show is set in... <laughs> tastes... Uh, it's delicious! What does this taste like? It tastes like the ear of a murdered child nailed to the cops. Ah, Miyazaki flavor. Wonderful. Exactly. The taste of communism. It's set in the 1800s and... In the European setting. Yeah, and European Of course, there's the, the stone around her neck, very much like Lapita. Yeah. In fact, this was a show that Hayao Miyazaki originally planned out in the 70s. It was never actually animated. After he did Sherlock Hound, he never did any other TV series ever again. Apparently, NHK still retained the rights to produce this show, right. um, and so they went ahead with it. And actually, a lot of the elements from this show made it into Conan Boy of the Future. You'll see a lot of elements from Jules Verne's novels. Specifically... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is the main one, Yeah, right? 20,000 Leagues, yeah. there's a lot of that in there. There's actually... Well, yeah, Captain um, Nemo. And, yeah. Yeah. They make a joke about this. There's actually these extras that were never included on the DVDs. Oh, yeah. And one of these extras mentions that we have Captain Nemo here, and we also have this book by uh, Jules Verne. I wonder if Captain Nemo read this book and then took this character's name on as his own. It's just kind of a little side joke, but yeah. Yeah, those are really good omake, or extras. And it's too bad that they didn't have the rights to put them on the DVD. There's even a story behind that. Are there encodes of yes, those? Yes, there are. Okay. That's how I saw them. Anyway, the show itself was originally aired on Japan's NHK television, and that is the equivalent of America's PBS. And as everyone who's watched Welcome to the NHK knows, a lot of good anime airs on the NHK that converts people to otaku. And if you yes. look at the manga page, the sample artwork they use is Nadia. Exactly. And instantly, the show became a gigantic hit. So much so that the show was originally planned for around, I believe it was actually 30 episodes. It became so gigantic that NHK said, nope, we've got to milk this thing for everything that it's worth, so we're going to bump it up to 39. And Macross style. As we've learned from Macross, but actually we've learned so much better from Nadia. Learned so much better from Nadia, even yes, though they they must have been looking at the character popularity polls. Because I remember forever, back in the 90s, you'd look at those new type popularity polls. Number one was always Nausicaa. Yes. Always, pretty much. And then much. number two number was two, always Nadia. Nadia. Yeah. And then eventually, once Oh My Goddess came out, it would be like Bell Dandy. They'd sort of fight for the, you know those top three. Yeah. As we've learned, lengthening a show once it has begun is a bad, bad idea. We've been talking about this and kind of jumping around this point for a while now, but why did lengthening the show doom the show forever? Everyone knows about filler arcs, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Every Naruto fan on the planet Apparently knows about Glynax filler arcs. isn't any better at filler yes, than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, as I said, the original series was going to be about 30 episodes, and suddenly the staff had to add a bunch more episodes. But there was a problem. They'd already planned out the show for, like, what's going to happen when. This show is a very carefully plotted show. Every episode there has a point. Where are they going to stick nine more episodes? Well, at one point in the show, there's this incredibly sad episode. And it's this episode where Jean and Nadia are separated from the Nautilus, which is the submarine that Captain Nemo pilots. They have to float in this small, non-functional submarine. They have no controls over it. It's just sort of floating in the ocean. This means that they're underwater and they don't know where they're going. Now, this is mostly speculation on my part, but this is how I see it working. Originally, Jean, Nadia, and Marie... Marie is actually this four-year-old girl that they picked up early on in the show. She's the lowly bait. Remember that. That's important. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, I believe what was supposed to happen was they were supposed to land on this island that was moving in the middle of the ocean. And they were going to meet up with Grandis and her crew and eventually discover that the island is a base occupied by Gargoyle. However, what actually got animated was this whole set of episodes where Nadia and Jean end up on this other island and, for lack of a better word, wacky hijinks ensue. And what do I mean by this? The show sails right over that shark. Oh, my God. What do you mean? It converts the submarine into a jet-powered spaceship and launches over that shark. <laughs> yes. Into the outer <laughs> reaches of the solar system. <laughs> Sucks the shark up into the atmosphere with oh, it. And the Fonz's jacket so... decompresses. Maybe it was these episodes that I stopped watching. I was just like, oh, God, oh, no. That would be yeah. as good a place to give up on the show as any. Yes. It'll and stop you dead. Anyway, oh. apparently what happened was that they came up to this episode, and this episode, and I'm quite certain that this was episode 23. Hideaki Anno had been working on the show, and he hadn't really understood the work ethic of working on a TV show, and he was just totally dead. He could not continue on with the show. And he asked a friend of his, Shinji Higuchi, to take over for him. So for a couple of weeks, Ano would concentrate on putting together the ending of the show and polishing the ending. And by the way, the ending, really amazing. It really shows. Very strong ending, I agree. Yes. Shinji, that guy, as far as I can tell, I don't think he was an experienced director at all. And this seriously hurt the show. But they also ended up just farming out all the animation to the studios in Korea. There's actually a company out there that makes these awful hentai anime parodies. They did Sailor in the Seven Balls and Samurai Fantasy, and they did a naughty... They appear to have done the new anime network ad that's on the yes. front of the 091 oh, DVD. And they did a oh. Nadia parody as well. And I swear to God, this Nadia parody looks better than almost all of those episodes. Yeah, this is how bad it sad. looks. They're just kind of collectively known as the island episodes. It's kind of a misnomer because John and Nadia spend a lot of time on islands throughout the show. But everyone knows what you're talking about if you say the island episodes of Nadia. You'll never ever... Oh, I'm losing my language right here, but mistake. Those episodes will you'll do never that mistake, to you. You'll never mistake the island episodes for any other episodes where John and Nadia are on an island. What about the episode where they go to Africa and King is worshipped as a god? Oh my god, that was terrible. That, again, for lack of a better word, these episodes are unwatchable. I mean, yeah, it is, really this show are. is absolutely a kid's show. It was absolutely a kid's show right from the beginning, but it was never a stupid show. It was always a pretty smart children's show. And suddenly during these episodes, Jean gets high on mushrooms, builds a space rocket, and then creates another sun in the sky. King, the lion cub, learns how to talk and is constantly being abused by Marie. And by abused, I mean really fucking abused for no reason. Like, they'll just have a scene of Marie taking King by the tail and just swinging him around and swinging him into the sun. And Nadia... Is, is trying to open cans of food. Yes, and she is an absolutely horrible, selfish, bitch, fucking awful woman throughout the entire TV series. Well, here's the other thing that you have to know about Nadia. She's not just a horrible, selfish bitch. She's a horrible, selfish bitch Bagan. Yes, Refuses vegan. to eat meat. Oh. Super psycho, crazy, environmentalist type person. More than Miyazaki. Yeah, more so than, than Miyazaki. Yeah. And the other thing that's on top of all that, and I cynically say this might contribute to why she was so popular, 
Nadia's a 13-year-old girl. Gynax doesn't care. They sexualized the hell out of her and marketed her as such. If you get my drift, all you people who uh, were big fans of Evangelion know how Gynax markets kids. And so between that stuff and the total bitch personality, this goes beyond Sundere, <laughs> to yeah. use the, uh, the Moe term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, While on the island, she's trying really desperately to open these cans. Yeah, and she, she, like, literally smashes a can flat, like, as flat as a piece of paper. But Well, it's like those old Warner Brothers cartoons where, you know, Sylvester or someone is trapped in the house and there's mm-hmm. all these cans of foods, but there's no can opener. I gotta find some way to open these cans without a can opener, and it can't be done. Those were shorts that lasted, like, five or ten minutes. This is like ten episodes of that. This is nine episodes. And funny you should say Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers because there's a scene in this where Jean is walking and then he walks off a cliff. And it's this total Looney Tunes thing where he doesn't fall until he notices it. And then his eyes bug out and all that. And what's horrible is that nowhere else in the show is it like this. It's just out of nowhere. And what's even worse is that the episodes that sandwich these nine episodes are dead serious. Are dead serious and excellent. These nine episodes would kill any other show out there. Any show. But the problem is that Nadia, as I said, is a show of extremes. When it is bad, it is unwatchable. It is awful. Absolute garbage. And when it is good, it is one of the best things that anime has ever made. And the problem is that there's almost nothing in between. It is literally... It's one or the other. And I've mentioned it on the show in the past, but I said I'm much more lenient on shows that end very strongly that either start off bad or take a dip in quality in the middle than I am of shows that end on a bad note. Nadia ends very strongly, and so I'm able to go back and retroactively forgive the crappier episodes. And what is really interesting about these episodes is that pretty much the Japanese acknowledged how bad these are because on episode 34, I think it was 34, it might be 33, I might be getting my episodes wrong, but that episode starts, this is the very last episode after the uh, island episodes, it starts with a five minute long recap of everything that happened in those previous nine episodes. So it is designed that you can skip those nine episodes. Yeah. How is the ADV release of this? Because there is the one set that has island episodes. I don't know if it's just that or what. It's nine episodes, and it's spread out across probably three DVDs. But you don't really buy the singles of this anymore. You can buy them on ADV's website. But you can buy the entire show in two full sets pretty cheap. So but did you they can... do that thing where they took all the extras off? There probably no, weren't extras to take out, and even no, if there were, was... this was before oh. that era of them doing that. It was just like interviews with the dub cast and all that. The thing is that even after you finish these island episodes, suddenly there's a terrific episode. And then there's another episode where they end up in Africa, as Daryl was saying, and it's this awful episode where all the African tribes, you communicate with them by saying the word Jumbo, and King is worshipped. And then episode after that. A musical episode. Yeah, the musical was the worst one, because I wanted to say that was, like, the third to last episode. Or the second to last episode, even. It was about about the fifth or sixth to the last. Okay, because I remember the second to last episode is the shittiest cliffhanger ever. When we saw it at the club I was originally watching, I was like, like, fuck it, put on the last episode now, I don't care. Uh, You know, maybe I'll I'll play one of these songs right now. Yes! Well, I would play one of them, but I haven't got it recorded, but... Excellent. I'll, yes. I'll, cut, I'll cut it out, and I'll stick it in the episode itself. 
that there's no. a song in there where John plays a ukulele and sings for about six minutes to Nadia the song that just goes Nadia Nadia Please listen to what my heart wants to tell you Stand to be teased anymore. Again and again and again. So it's oh. like the precursor to Wesley Willis. John's kind of lame. Like, yeah. Oh. I really liked Samson a lot because he was basically Je- he was like Jigen from Lupin the Third. He was an expert yeah. marksman. Which was the episode where he was like hanging upside down from like a flying yeah. thing and he's like, no, no, hold on, I got this. And then he, you know, shoots the thing and he's like, yes, yes, I am awesome. And then something stupid happens to him because he's an what's idiot. Wonderful, yeah, what's wonderful about that episode is that that is like the second before the island episodes. Because, yeah, they have some pretty awesome minecart chase kind of sequences. Yes, yes. Definitely one of those shows for me where a lot of the minor characters or side characters I liked much more than either of the major characters that the show is about. I didn't really care that much about Nadia or Jahan. Well... I don't know. I guess another reason that I never really finished it was because it it seemed like it was so focused on Nadia and Jahan. Man, Nadia is such a bitch. Hate her so much. The only thing is, like, I mean, I was just talking about how I'm, you know, more forgiving of Nadia because it ends strongly. But even the ending, they took the ending and were like, hmm, we ended and pretty much wrapped everything up. Let's do a movie that takes place after the series ends. I have not watched that. And let's make the movie be absolutely awful. The movie I hear is actually worse than anything that the TV series did. The movie is fucking brutal. How can it be worse than the Island episode? Well, you're going to have to watch it now and find out, don't you? I did a lot of research for this, but I didn't watch the movie. The movie is actually sold separately from the TV bricks. So anyone who buys that movie does so completely of their own accord. I want to know how many people got that movie, because the only people buying something like Nadia would be people who already knew about Nadia. It's not really, like, the kind of thing... But you know people would buy it just so they'd have all of it. For completion's sake. I can see, you know, the Chris Beverages of the world doing that. Yeah, this is a show that... Stay with me on this. But this is a show that I feel like a casual fan would enjoy more than a hardcore fan. And let me finish this first. If you told a hardcore fan, oh, don't watch these episodes. Just skip them. A hardcore fan can't do that. He has to watch everything because he's a hardcore fan. A casual fan, you can just say, skip these episodes, they're not worth watching, skip the movie, it's not worth watching, and they'll skip it and they don't care. They're just casual fans. And so they won't have to live through the island episodes. The thing is, though, I mean, even though the early episodes are pretty good, as far as the grand scheme of things, like you said, it's very slow to reveal the actual plot. I have seen cases where people have not been too thrilled by what's going on in the initial episodes and given up there before they actually got to the real story. We were at a club some years ago where they were showing this, and whenever this came on, the entire room cleared out. Yeah, oh god, that's the thing I wanted to say. It's like, if you're going to watch this, especially if you're not going to skip the island episodes, just, like, marathon it. Don't 
watch it at a club or some yeah. other thing where you're going to watch an episode a week or an episode every couple of weeks because those island episodes will take so long. Like, I actually yeah. thought that it was more than nine episodes because I had watched it at this club. I thought for sure that those island episodes were half the show. It yeah. felt like forever. It was so miserable. But what's sad is that they're like almost a third of the show. I actually thought that they were shorter, but because the rest of the show is so strong that it can actually kind of break down those island episodes to mm. make it seem like they were shorter. No, it's a third of the show is this awful, awful part. But the thing is, I'm emphasizing a lot of the bad things about the show. I need to focus some of the things that make the show really amazing and really yeah, widespread. What considered makes the plastic. suffering worth it? <laughs> well, like I said, this is totally a kid's show, but it's also a show that's not afraid to take some risks. And by that, I'm specifically talking about episode five. I'm going to spoil this episode because if you, you buy the show... Yeah, what happened you, in that episode. You, since you're going to buy the show in bricks, you're going to get this episode, and it's really early on. And I, I think after watching it again that this was a really pretty important episode. This is an episode where they introduce the character of Marie. Like I said, she's this four-year-old little girl, and John and Nadia discover Marie on this island, and she's laying unconscious around what looks like her family. And anyway, they, they get Marie out of there, and basically they find out that these people that she was laying around were her mother, her father, and her dog, and they were shot to death. What makes this episode, in my opinion, particularly strong is that John and Nadia are like 13 and 14 years old, and now they have to take care of this four-year-old girl whose family was shot to death and doesn't even understand the concept of dying, doesn't even understand this at all, and they have to reveal this to her they have to tell her that her parents are dead. They're not coming back, and now John and Nadia are effectively her parents forever. They ended this episode on this point. It was a very sad point to end this show on. And I think that was where it really seemed like the show was trying to do something a little bit more than a regular kid show. Because mm. I don't think that there were a lot of little kid shows out there that were going to end an episode with a little girl whose family was shot to death. I thought that that was very strong. I thought that was one of the strongest episodes. As far as the dub, you can tell how good the dub is by how good the crying is. How was the crying in the dub for that scene? They're, they're gone. I don't want to believe you. I... ADV dub. So, what about the streamlined pictures dub? <laughs> you know the one that started off with Carl Masek. He didn't have the masters <laughs> yes, for the audio, the so he's like, thing. "I need to dub this into English, now. but I don't have the audio masters. I'm just gonna play the Japanese and turn it down a little bit and speak over." <laughs> and so Basically. it was like in 1990. Yeah. Streamlined um, pictures tried to. Dub shit over, and then there was a horrible rainstorm. Yeah. Are you adventurers seeking the truth about the mythical being that dwells deep beyond the blue waterfalls named the Perilous? If you are, then you must first find me. 
The year is 1889. In the Atlantic Ocean, ship after ship met with mysterious accidents. People laid the blame for these disasters on ancient sea monsters. World powers began accusing each other of attacks, using new secret weapons. It was a time when military tension was building to dangerous levels. Heavy industries, led by steel mills and munitions factories, were expanding. Foreign trade was becoming more and more important. Imperialism in Asia and Africa became a major source of wealth and power. Towards the end of the 19th century, a small section of the world prospered, while the common people cowered with fear as the threat of a world war loomed ever closer. What Daryl is talking about, everything about the show has got some sort of story to it. When Nadia first finished airing in Japan, Carl Mazek, or Uncle Carl, the head of Streamline Pictures at the time, bought the rights to it, and he dubbed the first eight episodes of this. And this used kind of the typical Streamline cast. I believe Wendy Lee was Nadia. Actually, I'm pretty sure that I'm wrong about that, but here's a clip from the original Streamline dub so you can uh, figure it out for yourself. Just over that horizon lies Spain and Italy, Egypt and Africa. Oh, King, I wish I knew where I came from, where I was born. I wonder if I came from some place in Africa like you did. <laughs> no, I don't suppose you'd have any way of knowing either. Oh, if only I could fly. I would search everywhere until I found where I belong. You can fly if you want to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. My name is Jean. And if you want to fly, you can fly with me. Hmm. You don't believe me, do you? But believe it or not, every word I've said is the truth. Listen, I'm an inventor. I came from the Havre to enter the international airship competition. And where are you from? No, let me guess. You're from India. Well, I'm right, aren't I? Young man, I'm sorry, but I don't know you, and I am not in the habit of talking with total strangers. At least now I know that you and I speak the same language. Till now, I didn't know if you could understand me or not. Did I say something wrong? I was just trying to be friendly. But why? To someone like you, my dark skin must look very peculiar. Not to me. And since I seem to be going all out on this review anyway, I might as well just do this and play that exact same scene, except this time with the ADV Films dub. So uh, I guess you can make up your own minds as to uh, which one is better. France, Spain, Italy, Egypt, Africa. King, do you think I was born in Africa like you were? Or is it some place we haven't even thought of yet? <laughs> but I don't suppose you would know, would you? <sighs> How wonderful! Maybe we would find it if we could fly. Oh, but you can fly! <laughs> My name's Jean. Jean Rock miss. I'm an inventor. I can help you fly. <laughs> Uh, what is wrong? Uh, but don't you believe me? But it's true, you see. I have a plane. I come all the way from the hop to compete in the flying contest. Looks like you've come a long way, too. Where are you from? Is it India? 
I'm sorry, but I won't give such personal information to a complete stranger. Oh, good. You understood what I was saying. I didn't know if we even spoke the same language. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to offend you. Really? So I don't suppose you find my dark skin funny? Oh, no! Anyway... He wanted to turn the show kind of into the next Robotech. Unfortunately, no companies were really interested in airing this show. And so he ended up releasing the videos singly, and then he released them in two compilations in 96 or so. And then Streamline lost the rights, and ADV picked it up. Actually, I hear that this show aired on television in Britain, but it never finished either. I believe that it was considered too violent as well. There was a lot of talk for years of people saying Nadia was going to be on Fox Kids... A lot of people were saying, oh, it might happen. And then they were saying, oh, no, it'll never happen because Fox Kids or whatever stayed. They'd never want to do that because it would expose how bad the rest of the shows are by comparison. That's what people would talk about on the Internet. Yeah, I know that ADV really wanted to get this on television, but they actually released this in an interesting way. And I know a lot of people don't remember this, but this was the very first thing that was released under the ADV fan sub line. I this remember this. This was a short-lived... It was an interesting idea. You would pay for a TV series by subscription. Every month or two, you would get a tape in the mail of this show that was subtitle only. They started off with City Hunter and Nadia. I believe they didn't get very far in it, but it was an interesting idea. It kind of died pretty quickly. Well, the idea behind it was that they were going to charge a cheap amount for the subtitles as opposed to paying $10 more for the subtitles because it was going to be sub-only yeah. releases. I believe it was like $10 a tape or $12 a tape or something. I think it was it pretty... It seems like it would have done better. I think what happened was that it came right at kind of the end of the life cycle of VHS. And oh, so right. it got released on DVD, and they added a dub to that. And then mm -hmm. it got released again later into two cheaper box sets. Yeah. As for the uh, DVDs um, themselves, yeah, a word about these DVDs. They have the best menus. Nadia has got one of the best opening sequences of any anime ever. Probably the only opening that I prefer the tv size version of the song to the uh, album version. The opening is just this gorgeous work. They decided to do something really annoying with the DVD menus. The actual opening animation to Nadia, that remains consistent throughout the entire series, correct? Not those island episodes. Oh, okay, so they did change the actual animation? Because I oh, recall... You mean, you mean for the opening sequence? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting, too, because there were two opening sequences, and ADV only got the rights to one, but the differences between the two are very minimal. I just remember seeing some shots in there saying, whoa, this has nothing to do with the rest of the series, even genre-wise. I'm seeing something... Doesn't even seem like it would make sense in this. When's that going to happen? It's kind of like when you watch Mysterious Cities of Gold and you're watching episode one and the end of the opening credits is they're in a robot condor. Wait, when are they going to get to that? Yeah, they did change up the opening a little bit, but we never got that opening. The opening itself on the DVDs, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can act this out for you. Can, can you guys sing? No. I can scream, which is about the same effect. Th that'll work. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm ready. Okay. Putting in the DVD now. Starting up. There comes the ADV logo. Oh, uh, there. Here's the menu sequence. Oh, this is such a nice song. I like this song so. Much. Let's go the. Just go to the the language menu. Change the language to Japanese. Oh, I missed the button. Let me change. The go back to the main. Let's go check out. You get the idea. 
the opening theme song starts uh, off with an yes. extendedly held note, and every time you navigate to different sections <laughs> oh, of the DVD menu, the, the song there. starts again from the beginning. Yeah. And hey, so if you... Bad idea. So, and people complained about this, but they never changed it. And it's such a great opening song that you end up hating. You end up hating the opening song, even though it's, it's a like good that song. Skit, that mm, what you say? <laughs> that song is awesome. <laughs> they use a better section of the song. <laughs> that song, is, that section is, is funny because they keep looping the song. No, but yes, know, but it's it... the same effect. It's the same every time the gunshots. They have to restart the song. You... Every time you restart, you know, you go to a different menu <laughs> part. <laughs> The song restarts. <laughs> oh, so annoying, and I hate that they did that because it's such a good opening sequence. Anyway, another thing about this release, and this is kind of the story that we've heard, and I talked about this before, but this is one of the earlier shows where in order to sell these $80 laser discs of this TV show, that Gainax put together these extremely entertaining omakes. They are awesome. These short three, four-minute-long sequences that are extremely funny and are designed for someone who's already seen the show and is watching it again. And I say that because the very first omake reveals... the end. <laughs> is, yeah, reveals stuff that happens right at the end of the show. You can find these on box torrents because they're not included on the DVDs, but, but don't, don't watch them. watch them. them. <laughs> yes. I think my favorite one was the one where they were like, John and Nadia were looking through like personal effects or something bizarre like that. Oh, is and... that the one where they had like a TV show, sort of, and they were looking through photographs? Yes. That, was a sh that episode was done by Kenichi Sonoda. That was a really awesome episode, too. Because the punchline to it is Nadia starts rummaging through Jean's belongings, and he finds, like, a photograph of Nadia sleeping in, like, this really fanservice-y shot, even though she's a 13-year-old girl. And the photograph is just fucked up from, let's say, abuse. <laughs> and it, it's, like, all crumpled up. <laughs> it was really good. And then there was another one with they found apparently naked pictures of Jean, and then they just cut away to, like, this cartoon elephant, and then, you know, it ends with Nadia looking really intrigued at, like, the pictures. There, there was another episode, there were actually a couple that were done exactly like the science lessons from, from Gunbuster. Gunbuster. Exactly like them. Same. Complete with total and utter bullshit? Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly like them, totally. One of my favorites was early on with Electra. Electra, by the way, is this... this She's the first mate of the, the Nautilus? The first mate of the Nautilus, exactly. She's the and other fan service? Yeah, yeah, she's like the blonde chick with the Kikuku Inoue voice. And yeah, she's got a really sweet voice. And, and they're interviewing her at like a dinner or something, right? No, this is the one where she was in this children's show, and by a children's show I mean she was talking to Marie... But she wasn't Marie, she was a puppet that had the stick arms. And so Marie says, you're such an old lady, and Electra's like 25 or something. And Electra wallops the actor that's holding up the puppet. Bye, bye. And 
it's a pretty good episode. Uh, the one I was thinking of was one of the very last of those omake, where it was just Electra sitting at a dinner table, like supposedly like the otaku no video style interview. What's up with your, oh, your yes. hair? It looks totally different now. It's like, oh, I just felt like changing it. Because at one point, her character design sort of changes for no reason. In cartoons, you kind of think that's weird, like if somebody changes the clothes they're wearing and their hairstyle. Yeah. In live action, you think nothing of it. It's kind of like when MD Geist suddenly for no reason has his hair cut and he's wearing a leather jacket and shades, and you're like, wait a second. And this is the same guy with his power mullet and yeah. And what is terrific is that there's an entire episode of this omake that is devoted to nothing but saying how much of a bitch Nadia is. That's it. Is that it's in three, four minutes of just them saying how much of a bitch she is. Basically, it's very unfortunate that we didn't get these omakes. The story behind it was that ADV had two masters to go with. They either had the NHK masters or they had the Gynax masters. And they said that the Gynax Masters looked really, really crappy, but it had these extras, while the NHK Masters looked really terrific, but had no extras. I think that it's because Gynax was asking for gigantic amounts of money. Right, because one would think, oh, why not just use the NHK Masters for yeah. the show and then low-quality Gynax extras for the Amake, but I'm willing to bet that the way it's that just, licensing yeah. extras works is you have to pay a whole bunch of extra money. For and it. they probably wanted, like... Gigantic amounts because it was Gainax and because it was these special extras. My guess is that ADV just looked at this show that has very little appeal, probably thought maybe people will download them because there's just no way that they're probably going to pay for how much Gainax wanted. I don't know, how long has this review been going on for? Almost 45 minutes. Oh, wow, I was almost on for how much I thought it would go on for. Anyway, this is a show that really, in all honesty, is a classic. It really shows just how good anime can be. And it also shows... How, how bad anime can be. <laughs> and, and incidentally, I mean, I always say Gunbuster is the most Gynax-ish of shows, but you can definitely see all the things that made Gynax infamous, for better or for worse, are all present within this show. Yeah. The main reference you'd get as far as being anime fan street cred is you'd be able to recognize that they used King's character design from Nadia as the character designs for Paza King and Nega King from Otaku no Video, the yeah. mascots. Those island episodes would kill any other show out there. When we heard that Hideki Anno was manic depressive as a result of Ava, you go back and you watch Nadia and you think, wow, I never would have guessed that Hideki Anno <laughs> was prone to such violent swings of temperament as Apparently. far as going crazy. Even though, it's like you said, the island episodes yeah. are directed by a totally different person. Nadia no. is a very Anno-ish show in and of itself. The characters of Jean and Nadia are apparently... According to Ano, different sides different of his facets personality. of his personality. I think he says that about Shinji and everybody else too. The thing is that Nadia, up to the end of the show, totally becomes Shinji, and I don't mean totally becomes Shinji. And I mean she, she looks like Shinji. She, she I is, mean you I look believe, at. I mean Sadamoto did the character Sadamoto, designs. I believe Sadamoto did a demonstration where he took Nadia's character design and did two things to it. And, and it becomes Shinji. Yeah. It becomes Shinji. Yeah, she really is Shinji in a lot of ways, especially especially towards the end. Which proves but, that Shinji really is a pretty, pretty princess. The show, when it is good, is not just good. It is fantastic. It's a show that is a children's show, but towards the end of the show, I don't know if I'd really say that it's a show for six-year-olds, because it gets really very, very rough, and it frankly does get kind of violent for a kid's show. Yeah, if you're a hardcore fan, you're going to have a harder time getting through the show because you're not going to be able to skip those island episodes. Even just, though I'm ordering to, too. You're just going to be too hardcore a fan to just skip them. 
But then again, if we'd followed Daryl's directions, Clarissa and I would have never seen the episode of Fist of the North Star with guys that are shot out of cannons holding knives. I actually think that's maybe a notch below Island episode. <laughs> yeah, the sad part is, is that in all those nine Island episodes, there's about enough material to make one good episode. That's the problem, is that it's stretched out to nine unwatchably bad episodes. Yeah, I think if I tried to go back and rewatch Nadia and finish it, I might have to skip those episodes, because I don't think I could do that again. And the wonderful part is that the show designs myself, it so that you can do that. I not that much. The, that last episode tells you yeah. everything that's happened. Yeah. So, I feel like this is definitely a show that people should watch. It's one of these shows, well, I mean, the thing is, if I say it's not for everyone, no show is for everyone. I don't think Fast Karate would like this show. Where can you actually get the bricks of not Nadia? Not enough women with snakes in their vaginas? or No, not you know, really too many snakes in vaginas. Because I'm actually looking at some websites, and Deep Discount doesn't actually have the Nadia bricks at all, it seems. Hmm. And DVD Pacific only has the individual volumes, and most of them are back-ordered. This, this is interesting, because I actually thought that the brick was more readily available. It seems that the most readily available thing is when ADV's having their sales on stuff. You can buy the individuals for, like, five bucks a disc. Right. Yeah, and I can't remember having seen the bricks very often. The problem is, is that there is one disc of it that you could skip completely. I want to say that that is disc... Eight or so? I believe it's called The Secret Cave. I guarantee you that yes. anime on DVDs reviews will say, and now we are on the infamous Island episodes. Yeah. I believe it's disc eight, and that is nothing but Island episodes. Disc before that, mostly Island episodes, but with one really good episode, and the disc after that is Island episodes, but with good episodes then. I think they should have just released the show without those episodes in it. Oh, then, then people like, would be crying bloody murder. Yeah, but then they could have released like a, a special like collector's collector's edition of like just the island episodes in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like if you're <laughs> and so the musical in the Africa, you, you have to own the terrible episodes too. Then you can buy it, but it won't be inflicted on everybody else. And it can be like Highlander too, and we'll just all pretend that they don't exist. Yes. And like Clarissa said, don't ever show this at a club unless oh. you either skip the island episodes or skip them. There's no, no <laughs> nothing else. To my do. recollection, though, is people had given up on Nadia at that club long before you even got to yes, the, the island club episodes. That we went to, yeah. they just, this show did not click with them. I don't think that this is really, for, especially for today's audience, I don't think that it's a club type of show because they're more used to seeing the latest episode of Bleach and all that. And this is not Bleach. This is a lot of young kids doing stuff and big things happening around them. Anyway, yeah, Nadia, a absolute classic show if you know exactly what to skip. Yeah. <laughs>